0: Uh, my name's Tom. Um, I've been coming to God first for about 18 months now. Um, and this is my first time preaching here and only my second time ever. So please be gentle. <laughs> no heckling. And if you are going to throw anything, give me, give me fair warning, right? um, I am very excited to be uh, speaking today. Um, um, so, right, I, I, I'm very excited to be speaking. I'm also uh, very privileged to be speaking. I um, consider it a great um, privilege to have the opportunity for, for all of us as a member of the church just to try and uh, help bring the gospel to life. You know, with the, um, I think one of the reasons we're saying, uh, blessed, uh, blessed be your name, um, and 10,000 reasons is that we have to remind ourselves of the reasons why the gospel is good. Yes. And, um, and that's what this is all, this is what this is. So if you're new to church, a preacher is just reminding ourselves why the good news is good news. Okay, so that's what we're doing. Um, one of the things I, I love about parts of the Bible that are really familiar to us, um, and we're in a series on the Lord's Prayer is that it's often in those bits that we're most familiar with that we get the deepest, freshest insights and they sort of come side, sideways we don't realise they're there because we've been looking at this for so long and it's like, oh wow, how did I miss that? Um, and so we're, as Abby said, we're in the tail end of this series, hope it's, hope, hopefully it's a good end of it, um, of a series on the Lord's Prayer, which are perhaps um, the most familiar words that Jesus has ever said. And um, the risk of what is familiar to us is that we start to glaze over, right? You know, this, we've, we've heard this before, seen it all before. Or we miss, and we miss what's right in front of us. So I'm just going to start by trying to just get our heads into the game and, and just feel like this is fresh to us. Okay, so what what one thing that's really important when we read these read these words, which are very familiar, is just remember the context in which they were said. Okay, so Jesus is stood on a mountain somewhere in modern day Israel, primarily teaching his disciples who are with him. But there's loads of other people who've gathered round because Jesus has got this following. So it's in the heat of the day, Jesus is on this mountain, and um, when we read these words, they can sound They can sound quite turgid, especially if you're used to seeing them in old English, you know, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And you just, you just hear it in, you know, stuffy buildings. But this prayer comes in the middle of some of the most radical teaching the world's ever known. So Jesus, Jesus at the same time is saying things like this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Love your enemies. Pray for those people who persecute you. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of hatred at you, against you, falsely on my account. In that situation, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. So Jesus is saying some pretty strong stuff right? when he comes out with this Lord's Prayer. So this is not flat, boring stuff. So I want you to just try and shake off those dusty memories of half uttered recitals of the Lord's Prayer and try to just hear this again. Of the excitement of Jesus teaching this to his closest friends on top of a mountain. Um, If you're you're first in today, you know, and and, you know, maybe not regular at church, just another point on why why we think this is relevant. Why is it um, not outdated wisdom to be reflecting on the Lord's Prayer 2,000 years after it's happened? Um, In our society, religion might seem like it's on the way out um, and that it's not necessarily in fashion. But one thing which I sort of suggest is that spirituality isn 't and spirituality actually is, is really on, really on the up, um, and some of that is quite explicit, so that might be um, sort of new age movement stuff, that might be the, the number of Hollywood celebrities that are getting into Buddhism, for example, you know, th- these things are sort of celebrated it 's very popular people are getting into that, but some of it 's also and I think this is more where it is for, for us in the u k is um, it 's more implicit so it 's things like uh, meditation some forms of yoga, um, just things like the, the detox, um, diet regimes, the, the, the pure eating cultures. Uh, a lot of that is not explicitly sort of spiritual and, and religious, but it's very much about the sense of self and about having control of yourself and, and knowing who you are. And I, I think a really obvious one, the really fresh one at the minute is mindfulness, which is just essentially active meditation. Right, so, so, so religion might seem like it's separate and, and that you might categorize this prayer in that. But what I'd suggest is that actually this prayer is, if you're into spiritualism, Jesus has got a lot to say about that topic. He's got a lot to say about it. And actually he makes some pretty bold claims to say that spirituality with him at the center is the most satisfying form of spirituality. So don't, don't tune out if you're, if you found yourself here this morning and there's a few faces I don't recognize, um, and you think this isn't for me. I suggest that there's actually a lot which is relevant. Um, but the thing, the, the thing which I've been most excited about as I've just been reflecting on this for a couple of weeks and um, preparing this. Is, is is perhaps quite an obvious point, but it's something which I don't think I've ever really grasped before. Is that Jesus? If if what Jesus says about himself is true, you know, if the if he is the Son of God, he could not be better placed to teach anyone about prayer. He just he, like it's just like wow, of, of all the people. And it makes me feel very inadequate um, today. But, um, you know, so the, the, you know where, where are we at? Je- if Jesus is the Son of God and is in this perfect relationship with the Father, what Jesus is doing is, is saying to his disciples, come, just copy me. Just copy me. I've, I've been talking to my Father for, for beyond time. I've just been doing that all the time. This is, this is how you do it. Just, it's amazing. Come and join me. Like, and that's, that's what Jesus is doing on this mountainside. And I just think, wow, like what an insight into what it actually means to have a relationship with God the Father, who, in the prayer, he s- describes as God the Father. Um, okay, so, we're just, that's, that's the whole thing. I just wanted to bring that to life again. We're just looking at the last two phrases today. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Um, now, I don't know about you, but I, I find this quite a surprising ending to a prayer. Um, what, what do you pray for? Do, do you pray for that? Is that like the climax of your prayer? Is that where you end? Yeah. You know? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I do not pray that often. Um, and I think this there must surely there must be something really, you know, something which we've got to learn about that. You know, if it's not it's not intuitive to us, there must be something we've got to get from this. And I just I just want to start by dealing um, with some of the what is Jesus talking about in this? You know, just some of the obvious sort of reference points that he's dealing with, temptation and evil. Um, very simply. I'm going to put it in two camps, okay? Badness, which is outside of us, okay? Badness, which is outside of us. That's the first thing, and that can be things like, essentially, circumstances, things which come into us that affects us. Um, That could be feeling under attack, could be things like sickness, sorrow, death, um, bad news, threats to us, situations where we feel like the victim, or where there's something prowling around and we're the prey. It's that. It's that sort of badness outside of us. Some ways of translating that, that section say, not just keep us from evil in a generic sense, but the evil one, talking specifically about the devil. Um, and we don't really have time this morning, I don't have time, I'm sorry for this, to, to go into the Bible's understanding and, and what, about the, about the devil and what that, what, who that is, what it's all about. Um, but I just want to quickly say, if the thought of people today believing in the devil switches you off and thinks, right, this, this guy's just a maniac. Like you just can't, you cannot possibly believe in the devil nowadays um, well Roger Kint in The Usual Suspects came out with a great line said the greatest trick that the devil ever played was convincing the world that he didn't even exist now I know that that is not a sufficient logical argument for saying that the devil therefore exists I know that, I know that. I'm just saying go with it that's, that's the only point of that okay? just go with it um, You'd, you'd be shot if you tried to come out with that in a sort of proper theological um, context and justify that. But anyway, uh, it's okay if you reference a film. <laughs> so that's badness outside of us. But then we've got badness within us, okay? This is things which come out of us. Um, and I, this is perhaps the harder thing to, to accept, isn't it? That this is the evil inclinations of our hearts. These are our sinister, corrupt thoughts. The, the bad desires that, that lead us to do bad things. Um, okay, so that's, that's what Jesus is talking about. Another thing, I just, just for, for those who like a bit of logic, um, maybe you've got an objection starting to form in your mind. If Jesus tells us to pray that we would not be led into temptation, does that mean that God would otherwise lead us to temptation if we didn't pray that? Make sense? You know? Hang on, Jesus. So we've got to stop God leading us into temptation? What? Um, you know, is God's desire to see us tempted and battered so much so that we have to pray to Him to not do that? Is this some sort of vindictive God who's who's leading us into situations that we're inevitably going to fail at? Well, fortunately not. Fortunately, that's not the God of the Bible. Um, and the Father Jesus tells us to pray to couldn't couldn't be more different from that. And I think a person who really got this well was James, who was Jesus's brother. Okay, so pretty close to Jesus, pretty, about as close as it gets. He um, He said this um, He said, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lord and enticed by his own desire. What Jesus is saying then in this prayer is not, God, don't do that, because otherwise you would He's saying, God, I know that the badness within me leads me to sin. I know that I know that i 've got that tendency towards that, so please help me from sinning God I, I know that as a christian even i 'm going to be under specific attack from badness outside, so please save me from it okay that, that's what he's saying he's not saying that god 's going to do that and we 're going to stop him he's saying we 're calling out to God for help with our own problems and this problem of the devil okay so what's Jesus getting out of this right what, why, why is this at the end of his prayer okay but I think Something to really get something to really hold on to this morning is that by teaching us to pray this, Jesus is really challenging our complacency. He's okay, challenging our complacency about those inclinations in our hearts. He knows that we have a tendency to follow sinful desires and to do evil. And so he says, pray to God for help to not do that. And you've got that tendency, so pray to God for help. Pray it every day. Pray for it, just as you pray for the bread you need to eat. Pray for it, like you need. You need to need that stuff to provide for your family. That's how. That's how essential this has got to be. Mm. And I I just think this prayer has got a realism which is so refreshing. Because he says, "Because I know I know I've got that tendency. God, help me. How much better is that than pretending? How much better is that than trying to pretend to God? Actually, I'm doing okay. Can you Can you do these other things for me?" You know, and trying to ignore, and trying to ignore that sin, major problem in us that's sort of just pouring out. Says, no, just, Jesus says you can talk to God about that. You can tell God about your sin against Him. Mm-hmm. Now that that you just got to see that, and it's so it's just so easy to miss it because it's familiar. And I think as, as we talk about evil, I'm, I'm conscious that we we can be quite comfortable talking, thinking that some people in the world can be evil. You know, when, when we sort of hear that in the news today, we might say. Assad is evil because he's using chemical weapons potentially. You know, he that that is that's evil. Maybe people involved in human trafficking. That that's an evil activity. Those people are evil. But what about the rest of us? You know? And I think it can be quite easy, particularly in um, sort of middle class Britishness, to conceal that. You know, we've got we've got quite good social mores that mean it's not really okay to be explicitly evil in, in public. Um, <laughs> but um, but we're less, we're less okay with not only acknowledging that some people have got a capacity and, you know, they're humans too, but actually we've got a tendency towards that. So some people can really veer off and, but actually we're all sort of pointing that direction. And we've got things that sort of hold us in check, but we're all, they've still got that same problem at the core. And what Jesus is teaching at the same time as he teaches this prayer on the mountain is that those overt, obvious expressions of evil, they all flow from the same place. That's all part of that badness within us. It's what James is talking about: we're lured and enticed by our own desires. I'm, I'm not going to spend lots of time done on this because I think Vic did a great job of just trying to help us reflect on that last week. But you know, if you need to just get your mind into that place, this is a rhetorical question: When was the last time you told a lie? You know, we've all told a lie in this room. That's okay. We can all acknowledge that. Jesus says it's okay to acknowledge that. Um, but there'll be a reason for that. You know, there's there's that there's that behaviour. But there was something going on in our hearts that said, I need to tell this lie. Maybe that was, I need to look after my own reputation. You know, it's more important to look after me than anyone else. Maybe it's greed. If I tell this lie, I'll get that thing. You know, there's, there's something going on in our hearts that leads us to these actions. Okay, so knowing that, I think there's two things. Two, two fra- um, in these two phrases, Jesus is teaching something, something amazing. Two things. He's saying, remember how damaged you are. Okay, remember it every day. Pray this every day. Remember how damaged you are, but call out to God for help. That's the second thing. Okay, so remember how damaged you are and call out to God for help. And I, I just think this is amazing, right? I don't want to miss this, okay? So just pay attention for the next 30 seconds, if, if at all for anything else. Right. Why, why does Jesus say that? Why? Well, it's the obvious thing is that God is going to help. Jesus is saying, Look, "I've been in this relationship, right? I I know what this father's like. So Jesus is not just offering some, you know, fingers crossed petition to God, like you know, maybe if we say to this God, you know, I've, I've got these problems, can you help me? Jesus is saying, I know Him. I know He wants to help you. I know He wants to help you. A quick crash course in theology as well. So God creates people. God's in this perfect community, and He creates people to be part of that relationship." and and enjoying that, enjoying it, and then saying, no, actually, I don't want your way, I want my way, and we turn in, and that's that, that's that problem of sin. Well, what Jesus tells us in this prayer is that the same God that we've rebelled against is the same God who wants to help. Yes. So even though we've made an enemy of him, said, so, no, I don't want your way, God the Father says, I want to I help you. I want to help you because I know you've made a bad decision. It's the same God who wants to help, who we've made an enemy of. And if there's, if there's one thing to remember from this talk, look at me, if there's one thing to remember, it's this. God is on our side in the fight against sin and evil. Yes. That's it, right? That's all you've got to remember. God is on our side in the fight against sin and evil. That's going to be on every slide from here on out, okay? That's all you've got to read. God is on our side. Okay, that's the abbreviated version as well. God is on our side. I'm sure we can all get that. And we need to remember it, because we all too easily forget it. And so, the, the rest of what I'm going to be talking about is the reason why we can believe that that statement's true. Okay, why we can believe that God is actually on our side in the fight against sin and devil. Someone um, much better at speaking than I am um, described the gospel as being like a diamond. I thought it was a great image because he's saying, like, the diamond. If you if you look at a diamond, if you imagine it, it's got loads of different sides. Okay, and depending on how you hold it up to a light, one of these big stage lights, you would see it in a different you see different parts of it, you see different colours, different characters, different aspects of it. And we're just going to look at one face of it. Okay, the Gospel's got loads of different faces, we're just going to spend the rest of our time just looking at one of those faces. Okay, so, God is on our side in the fight against sin and evil. Question for you, not going to be expecting this one. Why did Jesus get baptised? Where did that come from? Why did Jesus get baptised? Okay. Why did he get baptised? Well, John, uh, Jesus was baptised by a chap called John. Okay. John was a pretty out there figure. You might be familiar with sort of images of, of John as being someone like this, um, you know, whatever that is behind his head, sort of coming out with staff, whatever. Actually, Jesus, uh, John was more like this. John wore camel's hair, ate locusts and honey, and lived in the desert. Okay, pretty out there sort of figure, and he was calling people to this baptism of repentance in the river Jordan. And he built a pretty substantial following. And his his baptism that he was doing in the river Jordan was laden with loads of imagery. It was a really symbolic thing that he was doing. And a quick history was that um, the nation of Israel, the the people of Israel, they were held captive in Israel. They escaped and they marauded through the the Sinai Peninsula until they eventually got to the Promised Land. And where was the Promised Land? It was beyond the Jordan. To get there, he had to go through the river. Okay, he had to go through the river to get to the promised land. And so what John was saying, like, I don't know, a thousand years after that event, he's saying, you guys who live in the promised land physically, so he's calling all these people who are actually there, you guys who live in the pro- promised land physically, you're still outside of it. You're still not actually there. You may be in there physically, but spiritually you're not in the promised land. You've got to come through the river again. Okay, so he says, to go through that river, you need to repent. Okay, and then you get into the real promised land. So why does Jesus need to do that? Why would Jesus need to have that, that baptism of repentance? Because if Jesus isn't in the promised land, who is? If Jesus isn't in that spiritual promised land, how the heck is anyone going to get there? Because Jesus lived a perfect life, right? That's a core tenet of Christian theology. Well, the person who couldn't answer... It's a pretty tough question I've asked you. Um, the person who couldn't get their head around that first was John. John has to try and wrestle with that question. So he's there, John's, John's there in the river, and imagine Jesus sort of coming up at the back of the queue. And John you know, probably drops the person he's baptising. <laughs> behold the Lamb of God! Rescues the person, right? And <laughs> uh, Behold the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sin of the world. And, and Jesus, come, Jesus comes down. You imagine him walking down the river here, and he walks up to John, gets to the front of the queue, probably waits his turn, because you know, he's perfect. And <laughs> <laughs> Um, for, it's, not, it's not jest. And, uh, and John, John's, John's there, and Jesus comes up to him and says, You baptize me? And John says, What? You want me to baptize you, Jesus? No, 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 no. You need to baptize me. I, I, what's going on? Why, why, John, John can't get through his head why Jesus would need to come through this queue for sinners. Why would you need to come through this river, Jesus? You're perfect. I'm broken. We're all broken. You're here to save us. But that was exactly the point. That was exactly the point. In, in doing this baptism, Jesus was taking a step further in taking on our sin. He was becoming our representative. He was taking on that label of sin. Now, while I'm asking this, while I'm asking this, let's, you know, we're talking about this prayer, of temptation and evil. Well, what happens immediately after this? Any, any answers? Anyone know? He goes to the desert, right? So immediately after this event, we get this. Then, immediately after this baptism, Jesus was led by the Spirit, that's the Spirit of God, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It's this pretty unique situation that's going on here. That is not normal. Okay. What, what, what happens next? So, so, off he goes. and So, he's taken on this label of sin, then he goes to face the devil eye to eye. And then, in the desert, he fights a battle which was of monumental significance of, 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 of achieving the gospel, a monumentally significant battle in the war against evil. And he was tempted in three ways. I'm just going to quickly look at those those three ways. Temptation number one was this. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Temptation number one, the devil offers Jesus some bread. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with eating some bread when you've been fasting, not eating fully, for 40 days and you're in the desert? Well, I think you need to, in all of these temptations as we just go through them, you need to hear the trick and the power play that's going on in the the devil's voice. There's there's something really, there's something more to it than meets the eye. You need to hear the subtle, sinister undertone in the devil's words. The devil sidles up to Jesus and says, Go on, Jesus. You. You feed yourself. You look after yourself for once. You see, bread particularly was a very important symbol. There's lots of parallels going on here. But when the nation of Israel was in the desert, when it was marauding through the Sinai Peninsula, God had provided bread every day. God had provided that bread. In a few chapters a time, Jesus would turn a few loaves into bread for thousands. And the theme through these symbols was that God provides bread for others. Okay, God, God would provide bread for other people. And Jesus would say of himself, I am the bread of life. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Which I give for the life of the world. So Jesus says to the, Jesus says to the devil, he says this, but in essence what, what he's saying there is, look devil, you can try and trick me. But I've come for something so much bigger than feeding my own interests. You won't distract me from that. You won't distract me, devil, and you won't lead me astray from that. And and Jesus actually quotes the words of God back from me. Read it. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the bread of life. And Jesus won't be tempted to put himself first because he came to give himself to the world. Thank goodness he said no. Temptation number two was this. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Again, the devil's being very sneaky here, very, very sneaky. He pictured them on top of the temple. Okay. They sat right on the temple in Jerusalem and you hear this whisper in you know, the devil sort of sat next to him, feet dangling. Go on. Show them your power. Show them your power, Jesus. Look at all these people down here who who don't even realise you're up here. They don't understand how great you are. Let's show them. Let's make this all about you. Let's make this all about the glory now. And it's a trick. It's a trick. I've described it as essentially a PR stunt. You know, that's, that's what he's tricking him into. And he's, what's really malicious about this is he's using the very words of God to try and, to try and catch him out. You're not expecting this one, Jesus. But thankfully, again, Jesus resists. He looks the devil in the eye, says, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Because Jesus knew, and he resolved to stick to what he knew, that he hadn't come to the earth for glory now. It wasn't, wasn't there for that. Jesus had come for the very opposite. He'd come to die a lonely death, a brutal death, on a cross outside of the walls of Jerusalem in a place of schools the place where nobody wanted to be outside of the glory of the city and just as jesus said no to the offer of angels helping him then there would come another time when jesus would explicitly refuse the help of angels and it was as he was being arrested when he says it when he's rebuking his closest friend. Who Basically, Jesus and his disciples, they're, they're come upon by some, by some Roman guards who are coming to arrest him. And Jesus knows that's going to result in his death, his crucifixion. And, and his friend draws out a sword to try and fend them off. And Jesus, rather than challenging the guards, challenges his friend who's drawn the sword and says, Do you not think that I can appeal to my father and that he will at once send twelve legions of angels? So you've got the devil tempting him here. But Jesus has always got that going on in his mind. He's always got the option of calling on the 12 legions of angels, who can imagine how powerful that is, right? as, as, the, as the way out. But Jesus constantly says no to that. He constantly says, I'm not going to choose that way out. I'm going to choose to go to the cross. Because Jesus never sought the glory in the now. Jesus was focused with iron resolve on glorifying his Father to do his will, for his glory, even when Jesus knew that that would mean his own death on the cross. Temptation number three was to sell out. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kings of the world and their glory. And the devil said to him, Jesus, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. So the devil's strategy hasn't worked so far and he saves his best till last. He decides to show off his empire. He's saying to Jesus, Jesus, look, I, 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 know, we're, I know we're enemies now. I know we're not really getting on here, but look, I'm the rule of the world right now. Like everyone's following me. Everyone's doing my bidding. Jesus, it will cost you your life to dethrone me from that. It will cost you your life. Let's save the effort. Let's avoid the pain and let's strike a deal. Let's strike a deal with the devil. Well, we know that never goes well. But fortunately, Jesus wasn't prepared to bow down to the devil. He wasn't willing to settle for a share in an evil kingdom with all its death and rotten decay. Because Jesus never chose comfort at the expense of righteousness in all of his life. Though it would cost him his life, he would not side with the devil. Because he knew he was there to crush the devil. Jesus was never there for a share in an evil kingdom. He was there to create a new kingdom. He was there to inaugurate the kingdom of God. See this, this, these refusals, these three refusals to give way to the devil in the, to give way to the devil in the wilderness, it was a crucial part of how Jesus became salvation for us. This is not just a, you know, just a bit of story that all the guys who write the gospels just sort of put in there because it's interesting. This is absolutely key to achieving salvation for us. We needed a saviour who was permanently and wholly faithful to God. Who always said no to temptation. And this is pretty extreme temptation. Right? There's, only, there's only one other person who's ever been tempted in this, in this way. And what, what, I, what I mean by that is this face to face, in conversation with the devil. Right? There's only one other person who we know of who was, who was tempted like that. And that person was Adam. Is that Adam had once stood in the paradise of Eden, in this perfect relationship with God, lacking nothing. Right, and the devil comes over to him and tempts him. And as with Jesus, the devil had quoted God's own words at him, used these same sneaky techniques to try and catch him out. And uh, but but with warped and malicious intent. But whereas Jesus rejected it, Adam fell for it. And tragically that brought us all with him, right? We all continue in that same tradition, believing the devil's lies about God. Let's just make the comparison. Okay, there's Adam in paradise with everything he could ever want, everything he could ever dream, beautiful wife, everything, right? It's all there. And he falls for it. Thinks that God isn't on his side. But Jesus, though fighting the same battle in the dry desert of the Middle East, on an empty stomach, with the prospect ahead of his own murder, trusted God. Right. And Jesus' victory there in the desert steeled his resolve for the final fight on the cross. And it was there that Jesus finally won the war in the, with the devil and broke the power of sin. Yes. This was a key fight, but it was on the cross that he finally won the war and broke the power of sin. Hopefully it's been obvious in what I've been saying, but I just want to make this crystal clear, especially, especially if you're, you know, new to church or you're hearing this for the first time. Jesus is not just an example to follow. Jesus is not just an example to follow. The point, the point of all this, the point of why we've got this recounted, the point of why Jesus was telling us this prayer is not just be like Jesus. That, that won't fix our hearts. It's unattainable. We're just not gonna, we're just not gonna do that. No, we're just gonna fail. But it also won't fix our heart. It won't cure the disease of sin in us. Maybe some of you have been raised going to quite traditional uh, churches, maybe in Sunday schools, where um, the lesson of, of passages like this was copy Jesus' techniques to resist the devil. You know, So if, if the devil comes at you with some, some scripture, know scripture better. You know, you, you'd be able to you know, say so you, you know heresy and you just say no to that. That is very good, very useful thing to do. But it is not what this is about. It's about so much more than that. Jesus is not just an example. He is our saviour. Okay, Jesus is our saviour. Because on the cross, Jesus did something we could never do. He won the war. We were never going to be able to do that. We would never want to do that. He broke the power of sin and it cost him his life. It cost him his dignity as he was hung up to be crucified naked on a cross. And he did it for us. Even though we had made him our enemy. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Jesus had died for us even though we had made him our enemy. This, this problem that he's trying to fix is a problem of us hating him. He, do you feel that? Do you see that? He's trying to fix the problem that we've made, which is about him. And he says, no, I'm going to come and fix that so let's just come back to the prayer um, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil Jesus is teaching us to ask for God's help in fighting the temptation of sin he's saying we need to live lives battling against evil and it is because Jesus has won the war on the cross that we can continue to fight these final skirmishes of the war Okay, the war is won this is only going to go one way. It's already been, it's already been sorted. It's already been settled. But we've just got their own little battles to fight in our own lives. Okay, I've there's various ways of spinning this. A uh, couple of sentences to, for how to do a sermon, and you know, one option that I thought about was, you know, do we dwell on the b- bits of sin in our own lives um, and, and how we need to challenge them? I think we're all conscious of that. You know, um, if you struggle to pray to God, maybe it's because you've got some sin going on in your life, and I think that's probably everyone in this room. It's okay. One of the one of the refreshing things about this prayer is that we can say we're all broken. We can get to that point. The point is what you do next. God is on our side. Yes. God has turned that tide of sin, so that that's why we can have the the confidence to go into battle. That's why we can have the confidence to to say no each day, and it's a never ending battle. I am relatively young in life increasingly old but relatively young and I've got no wisdom to share on what it means to fight the battle as a Christian for decades not got that um, but I'm sure it's going to be hard Um, we've got the confidence to fight the battle each and every day and to continue to pick up ourselves and carry on when we fail because the war is won and Jesus is on our side and this is so important, right? It's it's just so it's so vital to understand this. The gospel is not a bland message that says stop being bad. It's not even a message that says you need to be this good person. You know, that's that's what it's about, you just need to be a good person. That's all these Christians are lovely. It's not about that. The gospel is so much better. There's so much better than that. This diamond is so much so much brighter. It's saying that we are saved from death and rebellion. And though we took ourselves away from that community, though we took ourselves away from that family, God has rescued us and adopted us back into it. That's the gospel. That's the good news. It's so much more than just be a good person. This is it. It's the last page. Um, Does your sin keep you from God? Do you think, oh, I sinned. I can't can't pray to God. I can't come along to that prayer meeting. Look at who I am. You know, some of that's obvious, maybe some people have seen you, but often that's, you know, just you just know that. You just feel too guilty to be able to pray. Jesus says, pray this. God knows you're a sinner. Look, he died for you because you're a sinner. Of course he knows that. What are you you thinking? What are you thinking? Pray to God. Pray, God, I know I'm a sinner. Help me not to sin. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Do you think, maybe even before that, maybe you think, I've done too much bad stuff to even like become a Christian. To even follow Jesus. You're crazy. Lead us not into temptation but deliverance. Jesus knows that. That's, that's what's going on. That's the whole story. Jesus is Jesus reached down to save you because he knows you're so broken. That's not a problem for him. He loves you. Think how many times we have sang he loves us before. Like, did you hear that? We believe that. God loves us. Maybe you think you're doing okay. You know, maybe this is the other end of the spectrum. Maybe you think, you know, I'm it's all one well and good, Tom. But yeah, doing all right. I'm doing fine. I'm, I'm, I'm doing I'll pray the other bit of the prayer. Jesus says, "No, come on, let's get real. You're a sinner. We know that. That's okay. We can put our cards on the table. Pray this. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil." It's finished. Je- Jesus resisted the devil in a way we never could. Okay, in a way that we would never, in a way that we never would. We would never choose to do that. It's not the inclination of our hearts. And it is because he did that. It's because he went all the way to the cross in his resistance to the devil. And it's because of that that we know that God is on our side. God is on our side. That's it. That's it. We're gonna, um, we're gonna have communion. Um, this is, about remembering that Jesus went all the way to the cross. You now this is, this is Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. Whoever eats of my flesh will never die. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. He said that, and about 24 hours later, this happened to him. He was dead. When he said that, He knew that was going to happen to him. And he wants you to eat it. If you don't think you're good enough to eat it, what are you saying about what Jesus did there? Jesus did that so that you would come back to him. If you felt like you've not been able to pray to God for ages, come and eat this. And pray to him. Pray that. If you don't know what a prayer is, the one application from this whole series is you can pray that Jesus. When you when you pray, just pray this, just pray that. So if you don't know how to pray, pray that. And that's His bread, which He's given. For you. That's His body, which He's given for you. And this is the wine, because when you do that to a body, blood comes out. Come and drink. This is where life is. And you cannot help but eat that and drink that and not realize that you need it. You can't, you can't come and have this and think, I'm okay. We come and eat this and drink this because we know we're broken, because we know that we've got this evil problem in our hearts, this inclination to do evil. Come and eat, come and drink.